Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Good evening. So I'm excited to get into just a little bit of teaching tonight. I am ready to dig into the Word of God. I hope that all of you are as well, that you're here with me. We're here to study the Word together as a family. Um, we are not just here for no purpose. <laughs> you know, let's, I just want to open up and pray over getting into the Word here, Father God. We so want to honor your Word tonight. We want to honor everything that you put into it, everything that you're speaking through it, that it is alive. Thank you, Lord, that your word goes forth and that accomplishes everything you have for it tonight. That we don't take it lightly, that we value and we honor what you say and what you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we have, when I'm here at least, um, been kind of doing what I've called the roadmap of the Beatitudes, and it kind of all started from this jumping off scripture of Colossians 2.6, which says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so, or in this manner, walk in him. So we started into the Beatitudes because they gave such a beautiful description of how we received Christ Jesus as Lord. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, we will quickly review these Beatitudes that we've already covered. So we talked about, uh, in chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in he of heaven. Remember the poor in spirit? It is realizing our spiritual poverty. We had to have a realization that we could not reach God on our own, that there was a poverty, a lack in our spirit, and we needed help. Okay, we had to come to Jesus like that, knowing that we needed a rescuer. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We learned about mourning being that grief and that even a, a healthy guilt that what we were before we had Jesus was worth mourning over because it wasn't what he made us to be. You know, it was a state that we were never made to be in, and godly sorrow produces repentance. Okay, so that godly sorrow, that mourning, it produces a repentance, and it brings us to a place where we can be right with God. And we talked about blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those who are humble, who are gentle. Okay, we talked about humility. We talked about our place of submission, about putting ourselves purposefully under the authority of God. And then we talked about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or who crave righteousness. You know, we talked about that spiritual hunger and thirst and that we as believers, we have to always stay hungry and stay thirsty. We have to keep that stirred up in ourselves because we can't ever get enough of him. You, we cannot ever, ever be filled, you know. So, so we always want to stay hungry and keep that craving in us that we want more. There's always more. And then tonight, 
we are in verse 7. And I am just going to go through one because anytime I tried, last time I think I had, well, I already had this one prepared and we never got to it. So, um, so we have tonight, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And honestly, you know, this is not a subject that I have had a lot of teaching on myself. Um, and it has been such a joy to dig into this subject. I have really loved it. Um, so I'm excited to share with you. I can only share the revelation I have, but I hope that God unfolds to you whatever you need tonight about mercy, about being merciful, okay? So before we get into that, I just also want to give us a reminder of that word blessed. You know, we throw it around in the Christian world like, I'm blessed when everything's going my way. I'm blessed when I have all these possessions. It's not what it means. Jesus is defining what it is to walk in blessing through the Beatitudes. You know, so let's take on his definition, his identity of what being blessed is. And, and allow him to be that defining truth in our life. Okay, so the word for merciful, mercy, it's the same root word. It is someone who is compassionate and shows pity, but it's according to God's standards. Amen. Okay, so the helps word study says to show mercy as God defines it, as accords with his truth, acting only on his terms. Okay, so the Passion notes that mercy can be known as merciful to forgive. And we're going to see as we go through the study that mercy and forgiveness are tied together very tightly. So in general church definitions, mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. That's what it means. It has to be doing it in a way that achieves God's purpose, though. You know, it's God's way. It's not giving someone what they deserve to achieve God's purposes. So we have to know and understand God. We have to be in step intimate with his spirit if we're going to walk properly in mercy. Otherwise, we're going to operate in our own opinion of mercy. You know, just like every character trait, everything that God gives us, whether it's love, whether it's blessing, the world has tried to distort and pervert and put its own definitions on these things, we need to know what God says because we want his version. We want the truth about mercy. Um, and if we think about it, you know, it's very sad what the world thinks is merciful. The world says that it's merciful to assist people in suicide. The world says it's merciful to kill babies before they're born. That's not mercy. That's not the truth. You know, and this is why it's so important to stick to God's word and to believe what he says about mercy because, like I said, the world has very sad, very heartbreaking ideas about what it is to be merciful. And, you know, it's not even just the world that tries to define it. Even our own experiences, our own ideas, our own reasoning, we can't let that get in the way either. Okay, so we're going to go through the truth about mercy by the word of God and the spirit of God. And the main motivator we're going to see tonight the main motivator for staying in tune with god's mercy is realizing our own need for mercy Amen. how many of you know we cannot give anything that we have not received okay you may have received the world's version of mercy you can only give the world's version 
If you're going to give God's version of mercy, if you're going to give true mercy, you're going to have to receive it from him first, okay? So I want to look at a parable that Jesus taught about mercy and forgiveness, and it is in Matthew 18. So if you just want to flip over a few pages, and I'm actually going to read that in the Passion. So we're in Matthew chapter 18, and I'm starting in verse 23. It says, later, Peter approached Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps offending me? Seven times? Jesus answered, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven times. The lessons of forgiveness in heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. And here's the parable. There once was a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the royal treasury. He decided to settle accounts with each of them. As he began this process, it came up to his attention that one of the servants owed him $1 billion, which that's the Passion Translation's um, version because it says it is 10,000 talents, which is an unbelievable amount of money. A talent could be compared to the wages earned over decades. So the point it is trying to make here, 10,000 talents, is that this is such a huge amount of money that there was no way to ever pay it. So he, owned, he owed him 1 billion euros, we'll say. So he summoned the servant before him and said to him, pay me what you owe me. When his servant was unable to repay his debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and every possession they owned as payment toward his debt. The servant threw himself face down at his master's feet and begged for mercy. Please be patient with me. Just give me more time. I'll repay you. I'll repay you all that I owe. Upon hearing his pleas, the king had compassion on him and released him and forgave that entire billion euro debt. No sooner had the servant left when he met one of his fellow servants who owed him the equivalent of 20,000 euros. He seized him by the throat and began to choke him, saying, you'd better pay me right now everything you owe me. His fellow servant threw himself face down at his feet and begged, please be patient with me. If you'll just give me time, I will repay you all that is owed. But the one who had had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused to forgive what was owed him. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison and demanded he remain there until he repaid the debt in full. When his associates saw that what was going on, they were outraged and went to the king and told him the whole story. The king said to him, you scoundrel, is this the way you respond to my mercy? Because you begged me. I forgave you the massive debt that you owed me. Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that I showed to you? In a fury of anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards to be tortured until all his debt was repaid. In this same way, my heavenly father will deal with any of you if you do not release forgiveness from your heart toward your fellow believer. Very sobering parable here but I want us to glean some truths from it. So the servant obviously saw that he had a great need for mercy. He was in tune enough to notice that he needed mercy. <laughs> he threw himself at the, 
the feet of the king and he begged for it. Now, we know the king had that compassion and it produced an act of mercy from the king. He didn't give him what he deserved. He deserved prison. He deserved, you know, to be punished for what he owed, for being in debt, for having a huge mistake, a fault, a crime. But the king forgave. And in forgiving the debt, it was a very costly debt to forgive. It, it cost the king a lot, you know, but he still did it. Now, the problem was in the heart of the servant. Deep down, he did not allow the king's mercy to have an effect on him. So we see that the servant in the story that refused to forgive the debt, he's described as stubborn. Now, mercy was the opportunity for him. It was a catalyst for change, for repentance. The servant did not allow it to change him into a merciful person, though, because he didn't see the problem in his self. He saw mercy only as an escape from the consequences of his sin, not as an act of love that could actually change him and bring him into repentance, into being a merciful person. He was completely selfish. This is, in, you know, this is illustrated as in how he treats his fellow servant with anger and punishment rather than forgiveness and mercy. Now, of course, knowing how much he was forgiven, it should have been a motivation for him to show mercy. And it didn't, you know, it didn't affect him in that way. So mercy isn't a guarantee. This is something we need to understand. When we give mercy, when we see people given mercy, it's not a guarantee that they're going to become merciful, but it is an opportunity. So it's worth it. You know, anything that gives people an opportunity is worth it. Mercy often costs us something to give, just like it did the king. This is why we have a tendency to shy away from it at times, because of what it costs us. Um, and we're going to see in, in the next parable that, you know, that there's, there's never a reason to shy away when God asks you to act in mercy, okay? Because he will always take care of you. So as we saw in the parable, there's two sides of mercy. There's the mercy giver and then the mercy receiver, okay? So there's two people involved in this act of mercy. Both sides require the right heart and attitude for mercy to be successful or fruitful. So both need humility to be effective. As the mercy giver, when we're the one who needs to give mercy, we have to completely let go of offense, decide in our heart not to hold anything against the person, even though they deserve. They deserve our anger. They deserve punishment. They deserve something. But if we're going to walk in mercy, we have to decide we're letting go of that. You know, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Um, that's why we need to receive it from God if we're going to be able to give it like that. So whatever they deserve, we have to be willing to forgive it. We forgive the debt and we let it go like it never happened. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 refers to when it says love or agape keeps no account of wrongs. Amen. There's not a mark of debt any longer. It's been forgiven. It's been let go of. It does not exist. So mercy is a key element in walking in agape. Once we've given mercy, we have to trust God. You know, if we are not walking in faith, it's going to be very hard to walk in mercy. Because to walk in mercy is to trust God sometimes to deal with things. 
Does this mean we ignore the hurt that it's caused us? No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't ignore when someone has hurt us. We shouldn't ignore it. We should allow God to deal with it, to heal us, because we need that healing in our lives. Okay? He's the only one who can do it. Hurting the person who hurt you isn't going to heal you. Okay? Does it mean we immediately trust the person? Maybe not, but that is something that can also be restored. This is once again where we have to be led by the Spirit. You know, there are times when God asks us to give mercy to someone who is just passing by and they're on another path and we just need to let them go with mercy. You know, and then sometimes there's people in relationships with us and there's going to have to be a restoration of trust when, you know, there's been a mistake and we have to give mercy. So we have to be led by the Spirit of God to know what is the situation for us? God knows. You know, sometimes we are blind to things, but he knows. So we need to be seeking him on these things. So it means that we're not holding the person responsible when we're giving mercy, even if it costs us to forgive the debt. If it costs us money, if it costs us time, if it costs our pride, you know, we have to be willing to pay the price. And like I said, there should be a joy when we get to release. If you are in a position where you can forgive a debt that God's asked you to, praise God that you're in a position to do that. Don't be thinking, oh, I mean, I, that cost me a lot of money to forgive that. You know, thank God that you're in a position that you can do it. Like there is so much to be thankful for, <laughs> you know, and it's all about our attitude sometimes. So that's being the mercy giver. Then the mercy receiver, like I said, we also need humility in order to receive mercy. To truly receive mercy, we have to be humble enough to realize that we need it. We have to acknowledge, be able to acknowledge that we've messed up and be thankful that God or that a person would even extend mercy to us. As a receiver, we cannot have an attitude of entitlement. We shouldn't be coming into situations where we failed and made mistakes and have the attitude that we are owed mercy. Okay, we have to be able to receive it gladly and with a huge amount of thanksgiving because it's not owed. And receiving mercy means that we should be in a posture of desperately desiring to make our wrongs right. Okay, and we, when we put ourselves in that position where we can admit it and we can see our great need for that mercy, then we can receive it. And it's also, you know, when we're receiving mercy, it's also not with an eye roll. It's not with an attitude of, who do they think they are to be given mercy to me? I see all the wrong stuff in their life. You know, because that will leave us in the same position as that servant in the parable, a posture of being stubborn, of being hard-hearted and offended, you know, and it, it makes us blind. So with the right attitude, receiving mercy can change us. It can awaken in us that deep gratitude that someone would actually forgive us when we absolutely do not deserve it. It can soften our hearts towards other people when they mess up. It can give us the ability to show mercy rather than punishing the people who hurt us. So one of the most important lessons about mercy is the when, is discerning. You know, when do I walk in mercy? When do I extend this mercy to people? So I'm going to give you an example of 
how God started teaching me to show mercy as a parent. Now, when our son Lane was a toddler, you know, this was my first child. I was deeply entrenched in learning how to parent, how to depend on Holy Spirit for help. And I realized training children rather than just raising them is a whole lot harder than what I bargained for. Um, I had to train Lane how to know what was right and wrong. You know, that responsibility alone as a parent <laughs> can be overwhelming at times. Um, and I had to learn, you know, in training him, some, a lot of times, most of the time, he needed discipline to correct his mistakes. But there was also a time for mercy, okay? And I had to learn when it was time for which. Um, you know, when I, it was really a, a journey, and it's a journey I'm still on. I have not arrived. I'm still learning on this journey. Um, but the thing about it is that it would have been easy to always say, I'm given a mercy and not have to deal with the discipline, okay? That would have been easy. <laughs> but he never would have learned the true value of God's real mercy. You know, if he was always given the real or the wrong version of it, my version of I just don't want to deal with it, because that is more akin to neglect, okay? Because neglecting to deal with things is not mercy. But on the other hand, never giving mercy, always punishing, always disciplining, coming down on every offense, it doesn't help people either. It produces fear and it causes a wedge in relationships. Okay, so there's a balance there that we need to stay in. Um, you know, I just remember very clearly a time when Lane messed up and he knew it. You know, he had committed a particular offense that he knew had a particular punishment. And I could see it all over him <laughs> that he was already sorry and regretting that he made the decision. And this was as he was like, you know, very small, maybe three or four. And, you know, as I saw that in him, the Spirit of God just rose up in me and it spoke mercy. You know, God spoke mercy to me. So I spoke mercy to Lane and I started explaining to him, Lane, God wants to give you mercy right now. You know, and his little face just lit up. <laughs> You know, he was so relieved, he was so thankful, he gladly received that mercy because he knew he deserved the discipline. You know, he knew he deserved the punishment and he was being given mercy. And because that was done in God's way, it was a great motivator for him to stay out of that particular, you know, mistake or that sin because when God showed him mercy, it triumphed over judgment in that situation because it was done God's way, okay? And that's how we want to learn how to walk in mercy is to do things at his timing in his way so that mercy can triumph and mercy can produce the right things. You know, that mercy is not producing a neglect or, you know, a way for people to just think, oh, that's the easy way out. You know, that's not what mercy is. So I know not many of us are dealing with training toddlers at the moment, but we can apply these same principles. Um, it's not necessarily about being in a position where you're choosing, oh, I'm either giving mercy or I'm giving discipline, because in most of our relationships, we're not giving discipline. That requires authority. That's not where we are in most relationships. But we do often, without realizing it, punish people. Um, punishing people can come in a lot of forms. 
you know, it can be a very aggressive outward. You can know you're being punished because somebody is verbally attacking you, physically attacking you. They're attacking you. You know that they're mad. Um, you can be punished by the silent treatment. You can be punished by really subtle things like a, a bad attitude. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can punish people because we haven't sorted it out with the Lord. What do you want me to do with this? You know, how do, how do I walk in mercy in this situation, Lord? Um, when someone in our life has messed up, it's up to us to seek God and ask him how to deal with it. He never wants us to withhold mercy or forgiveness, but he does want us to deal with issues. So some situations do require correction or calling out of a mistake in order to help the person see the danger. Okay, sometimes God says, there's a danger, they're not listening to me, you go speak to them. You know, and then there's other situations where, um, you know, God just says, look, you show mercy, you forgive, and you don't mention anything. You know, you just let it ride. You don't need to correct. You don't need to, to bring that out to the light, you know. So it's so important to stay in tune with Holy Spirit so that we know, you know, there's, um, there's a tendency we can either avoid speaking the truth in love so that we won't upset people and then we try to define it as mercy or we get in the habit of being hard and merciless and just pushing people away. Those are kind of the two sides of the ditch we can get in. Um, but both fell to reveal God's, God's heart and his purposes to people. So I just want to look at, at Jesus' life really quick and one of the accounts in his ministry in John chapter 8. So if you want to turn to John chapter 8. says, Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer him. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more in the dirt. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd, one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin. So we see in this story, in this account, the way that Jesus dealt with things. The law was clear. This woman was caught in the very act 
of adultery. There was no denying or lying about it. She was caught. She deserved to be stoned to death. That's what the law said. Now, interestingly, the law also requires the man who's caught to be stoned as well. So for some reason, the Pharisees did not bring him along. Some scholars think it's because he was one of them. Okay, we don't know, but that is a a theory. So Jesus saw, though, what he saw in these men was hypocrisy. He knew that they themselves, these men, they needed his mercy, but they couldn't admit it. They needed his mercy. They were entrenched in things in their lives that were hypocritical, that were harming people, and they couldn't admit that that they needed him. So then he sees this woman who's about to be killed and who rightfully deserved the punishment, and she even knew it, but he caught them in, in their hypocrisy by inviting them to fulfill the woman's punishment if they could do it with a clean heart. Now, I can only imagine the fear that probably rose up and these men, as they're standing there thinking Jesus is about to start uh, exposing my sin, you know, he's, if I start picking up a stone, he's probably going to tell me stuff I've done, you know, and he's going to say it in front of everybody. So I, I can only imagine, you know, when very quietly they just kind of edged their way, mm, not going to mess with that. And once they left, the woman was alone with Jesus. Now, by the law, two witnesses were required to accuse someone, so Jesus made it clear he wasn't going to punish her, he was going to give her mercy. Now, he didn't hold back from dealing with the issues, though. He said, go and sin no more. He desired for his mercy to change her. It was not a license to keep sinning. It was a desire that in holding back this punishment from you and pouring out my love and showing you you deserved to die in your sin. And I withheld that from you because I love you, that that changes her. You know, that gives her that catalyst to change, to know how loved she is, that she did not deserve that mercy, but that he poured it out to her anyway. And, you know, just like the woman at the well, I, I like to think that she had the same story, you know, that she was so changed by this that she went and told the world about this Jesus. And she does call him Lord. You know, she she replied, I see no one Lord. So she saw some of the truth here. She saw who he was. Now, Jesus knew she was ready to receive the mercy where the Pharisees weren't because they were full of that pride, that hypocrisy. They had self-righteous hard hearts. But, you know, in the end, he still extended mercy to them just as he did to all of us, his most profound demonstration of mercy. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18 says, since all his children have flesh and blood. So Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. For it is clear he didn't do this for the angels, but for the sons and daughters of Abraham. This is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. He made us his brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God as the one who removed our sins to make us one with him. 
he suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Now, that's such a beautiful description of the mercy of God. And, you know, what we see in Jesus, sometimes we see the life of Jesus, and it's so obvious how good he is, how sweet he is. And some of us still have this strange image of God that he's far away and he's kind of mean. Everything you see in Jesus, the story we just read of him giving that woman mercy, that is God. He is the exact image of God. They are not different. They are the same. That is your God. He is merciful. He extends mercy to you. He loves you the same way Jesus does. Jesus displayed the willingness to pay a price that he did not owe in order to welcome us into the kingdom by showing us mercy. We're the ones who sinned, who owed the debt. We hurt our father by ignoring him, by disobeying him, by rebelling against him. We deserve to go to the to the debtor's prison to hell for all eternity. But his mercy, but his mercy, his mercy gave us the opportunity to accept the forgiveness of our debt, to allow it to change us into merciful people. Then we reap what we sow because that's the rest of the verse. You know, as those who act mercifully, those who uh, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. You know, our seeds of mercy will come back and they will produce mercy in our favor or towards us. Okay, so that's the last self-evaluation of the evening is just if you're lacking mercy and you can't understand what seems to come to other people and it seems to skip over you, maybe you need to sow some seeds of mercy. Meditate. Meditate on the mercy God's given you. Meditate on the mercy he's shown and the things in your life. Allow it to soften your heart because that's what's gonna allow mercy to flow from you, for you to be a merciful person to other people, not to punish them when they hurt you, but to show them that mercy, that love, sometimes that correction, you know, but to show it God's way, to show it in a way that's fruitful. And you know, before we leave out of here, um, Leah, if you'll just come up. I just want to share a quick testimony, and I want to give you an opportunity to um, just kind of make it personal for yourselves. Um, it's kind of a hard thing to share because it sheds a really bad light on myself, but I'm just going to go with it. So, um, you know, years ago, uh, Ryan and I, as some of you know, got married when I was in a very backslidden place. You know, and I, I grew up a Baptist, so there's a lot of stuff I didn't know about God, but I was in rebellion. You know, I was absolutely in rebellion against him, and this is when I got married. And so the first years of marriage were extremely difficult and challenging, um, but it came to a point where for a couple of years I had been ready to finally have a child. You know, we were married seven years before we had a child. And so finally Ryan came into agreement and he said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm ready for this. Let's do this. Still, we were not in a good place, <laughs> but we, you know, for me, this started my journey of knowing God in a deeper way and of receiving his mercy. Now, 
When I was trying to get pregnant, I had a very hard time. It took two years of, you know, actively trying, looking at the test every month, but, you know, just heartbreak every month when no, 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 you know, over and over. And I really believed that I couldn't get pregnant because of the things I had done, because of the lifestyle I had lived while I was backslidden. And I believed I didn't deserve to have a baby because it was punishment. You know, I was being punished for the things I had done in the past. And, you know, I really believed this, that this was the reason. And I carried that with me and I let it affect my words. And, you know, it just, it bogged me down. And I believed, you know, such terrible things about how God saw me. And it took you know, a woman of God who was older and more mature than me coming in and speaking some truth into me. And it took me just coming to a point where I was on my knees before the Lord and I was desperate. I was so desperate. I wanted this baby so bad, you know, and there were, there was a journey to it. You know, he extended his mercy and he started showing me who I was, that I was not trapped by what I had done in the past. I was not a slave to my mistakes, you know. He started showing me that his mercy covered and washed me clean from those things and that I was given a complete fresh start, you know, and, and it was such a beautiful journey to trusting him more, you know, in his mercy, as we grab a hold of his mercy in our lives, we learn to trust him. We learn how good, how could he possibly love us that much? How could he possibly see how horrible I was. The things that I did and said, how could he look at those things and think, yeah, she's my daughter and I love her. You know, it, it's just overwhelming when we meditate sometimes on those things that God has done for us. And the beautiful thing is, you know, that was the catalyst then for healing our marriage. You know, it started us on this process of Ryan receiving mercy into his life and him getting right with God. And, you know, when we were, we lived like hell back then. We really did. We had no business to be where we are right now. No business. We didn't deserve it. Why would God use people like us? I, I cannot understand it. <laughs> it's too good to be true. You know, because we're the least likely. <laughs> If you could have seen us back then, you just would laugh. Well, you'd cry, probably. <laughs> you know, it was so very, very sad, the state that we were in. And God reached out with his mercy, and he rescued us out of a pit that was going downward. Our lives were going into the pit of hell so quickly. We were headed oh, for destruction in every area of our lives. You know, and, and that mercy reached down out of heaven and he started speaking to us. Our God, he spoke to us with his, his own clear voice. You know, and we started getting to know Jesus, that Jesus would really be there with us. He would touch us. He would speak to us. He would listen to us. He would be our friend. He would be our confidant. He would train us and show us how to grow up in him. And, you know, it's, like I said, it's been a journey, and it's a journey we will continue on 
while we're in this earthly body, you know, the whole time. But I, I just want us to think about tonight. I just have a strong sense. Um, and maybe if we could put the lights back down. That some of us, we need to receive mercy. Some of you are in that same place that I was, where there's something you're thinking, God can't forget that. He can't forgive that. He can't let go of that. He's punishing me. You know, and some of you need to receive his mercy tonight. And some of you need to give that mercy. Some of you are holding on to hardness, to unforgiveness, to bitterness. And you need to release mercy into the situation. We all need to ask God, Lord, how would you have us to do this? How would you have us to walk this out? You know, but I just wanted to have Leah come up here and I want to just open the altar and allow you just come up, meet Jesus, meet Jesus here, sit at his feet just for a few moments. Just listen to him and allow him, allow him to deal with if there's something that, that you need mercy, if there's something you need to give mercy for, don't let it, don't let the, the moment go by. Allow that process to start right here tonight. Don't be too proud. <laughs> There's a lot of altar calls I've come up for that I'm sure people, you know, thought, wow, she must be pretty bad. But don't let that stop you. You know, you come and you sit at the feet of Jesus and you allow him to start speaking to you about these things because he wants to start that process of healing and dealing and getting through this. So I'm just gonna give us a few minutes with Leah here playing. Just wanna thank you all for coming tonight. I wanna pray before we leave. Thank you, Father God. Oh, thank you for every person who came here tonight who had a heart open to receive from you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for showing us your truth, starting to unfold things, continuing to unfold things about mercy to us, Lord. Let these be things that go deep into our heart that are rooted and growing and producing fruit in our lives, Lord. Let mercy be something that we can receive from you first and foremost, Lord. And then let it flow. Let it flow. Let it flow generously. Generously from us, Lord, but in your way. Oh, let us seek you. Let us ask you. How do we walk in mercy, Lord? What do we do in this situation? That our reliance is completely on you. We're not looking to ourselves, to our own strength, to our own ideas or opinions, Lord. We want yours. We want your way. We say your way or no way, Lord. Your way or no way. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the centre of the town and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie